Good afternoon. This is Chicky Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, August 5th, and our guest today is Lois Frankel. And Lois wrote a very, very interesting book that's a national bestseller called Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, 101 Unconscious Mistakes That Women Make That Sabotage Their Careers. Lois, why don't you give us uh, just a thumbnail on you personally, and then we'll just dig right into the book. Sure. Uh, I essentially do three things. I have a business in Pasadena, California that's called Corporate Coaching International. We do executive coaching, team building, leadership development, those kinds of things around the world. The second thing that I do is I'm a keynote speaker, and that's primarily where I spend my time now. Somebody else, I, I started the coaching business, but somebody now actually runs that for me. And the third thing I do is I'm an author. In addition to Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, there's Nice Girls Don't Get Rich, and most recently, Nice Girls Just Don't Get It. <laughs> okay, well, I, we may have to hear a little bit about that as well. Um, this one is, is of particular interest uh, to the Executive Girlfriends Group. Uh, we uh, started the organization three years ago with a group of about 30 of us who were in the travel industry. And so uh, if we had more people on the phone, chances are you would hear different people from different parts of the travel industry because those are still the, the core people that participate. Um, the unique thing about the travel industry is there are a lot of women in the, in the travel industry and even a lot of women in leadership, but very few women CEOs. And, um, you know, it's not unusual in the travel industry for the women – uh, executives to be the breadwinner in their family. I, I had shared in, in my um, uh, introduction before we started uh, the recorded part of the call that you know I've played that role in my family for a very long time, but I was actually stunned a few years ago to find out how many other women uh, in mid-level management, women uh, clearly who also owned their own businesses, how many of them were the breadwinners, but yet not breaking through uh, into the corner office. So I am I am uh, just very very interested uh, to find out why you wrote the book, what what caused you to to formulate this. Um, I started reading it this week and and um, and didn't get a chance to finish it yet, but I am really really looking forward to that. Well, great, thank you so much. I'm glad you're enjoying the book, and I can tell you uh, why I wrote it and uh, what formulated some of my thoughts about it. And it really um, started before this book, because the book before Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office was called Stop Sabotaging Your Career. And that was for both men and women, and it was based on my coaching experiences with um, men and women, but primarily male executives around the world. And that my whole coaching practice has been based on the philosophy that what will derail you in your career and derailment is defined as any unexpected change in career momentum. What will derail you in your career are early childhood messages. Because as children, we get these, you know, messages from our parents about how we're supposed to behave. I call them the rules for membership in your family. And in every family, there's rules for membership, whether, you know, you have to study hard, whether you have to be nice, whether you have to turn the other cheek, um, you know, you name it. And there's rules for me children are to be seen and not heard. Uh, 
there's rules for membership in every family. And when I wrote um, Stop Sabotaging Your Career, it was really to provide uh, coaching to people who may never have gotten coaching, who may never, you know, either work for a corporation that would pay for it or not be able to afford it themselves. And so I really wrote the book because I wanted it to be like a self-coaching kind of thing. And then, you know, you want, you want to fast forward about seven or eight years, and I was coaching a woman who is a vice president of manufacturing in Herndon, Virginia, but her company was located in Los Angeles. And she was um, sent to me for coaching. And, you know, it's interesting because now everybody wants coaches, but uh, it wasn't too long ago that people, you know, managers and uh, human resources people sent their employees for coaching because they wanted them fixed. Well, (laughs) this woman was sent to me for coaching because she was a little bit on the aggressive side of assertive and as you know anybody listening knows we they usually get labeled the bitch and that's how she was labeled and they said you know Lois we'd really like you to work with her she has a lot of potential but she's you gotta like you know um, just file off the rough edges so I worked with her for about three months and uh, I went in for a, a coaching session and she said before I get started I just want to tell you that I was invited to sit on the executive committee of my company And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, I must have done a pretty good job. And I go to give her a high five, and she stops me. And I said, what's the problem? And she said, you know, I'm not going to do it. And I said, Sandra, you better have a good reason for why you're not going to sit on the executive committee of your company after you've been invited to do it. She said, you know, Wallace, I've been to those meetings. They're a waste of time. And at that moment, what came flooding into me was, whoa, all these years I've been talking about childhood messages, but really girls and boys get additional messages that are different. So, like, you know, for example, in my family, we all were expected to work very hard. Okay, so the boys, the girls, that was a family rule. But, you know, the boys got messages about they had to be competitive, and I got messages about I had to be nice and sweet and kind and take care of everybody else. So it was in that moment that I realized, whoa, Sandra's acting like a girl. And as a matter of fact, what popped out of my mouth was, honey, you got to quit being a girl. And <laughs> on my way back to Los Angeles, where I live, from uh, Herndon, Virginia, on the plane, I outlined all of Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office because it just it, it was just so clear to me that women are doing things to sabotage their own careers because they are women, because of the messages they got in childhood. So I hope that answered that question. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, we don't have time to go through 101 of them, obviously. But but let's talk about some of those um, things that that help you get beyond the childhood and and really being able to look at yourself clearly. And I love, love, love the self-assessment at the front of the book. Um, And and I did it on an airplane and and, uh, we were just landing and I hadn't finished, so I've got to go back and score myself. But um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that and the importance of taking that look at yourself, uh, you know, through through really the clarity of, of someone else's eyes. Yeah, and you know what, Chicky? Um, listeners can actually take the inventory on my website for free, and it's self-scoring. Oh, 
Yeah, and if they just go to uh, drloisfrankel.com, and that's just D-R-L-O-I-S-F-R-A-N-K-E-L.com, they can take it for free. It'll say there's a tab that says free resources. And there's a couple of other self-inventories there, too. And the importance of the inventory is that, and it's and it's interesting, Chicky, because in Nice Girls Just Don't Get It, which is my most recent book um, co-authored with Carol Frolinger, we also have a similar um, assessment in the book in the beginning. And, and our first chapter in that book really talks about assessing your past and visioning your future. See, because for me, unless you can identify what are the things that get in my way? And they're different for everybody. Like, you know, it's not one size fits all here. I, you know, right. I don't tell all women to do the exact same thing. Because, you know, in the example I just gave of Sandra, you know, Sandra needed to tone it down a little bit. In fact, uh, she was seen as a bit strident and, and had a little bit too much edge. And, and to tell you the truth, that wasn't just because she was a woman. She She actually did have a little too much edge, even for me, and I'm kind of edgy. So um, so uh, we think it's really important that women assess themselves and they assess their past also because if you can understand why do I act the way I do today, then you can, it's easier to change it. I'm going to give you just – this is going to be seem, seem like such a foolish example, but I'm going to give it to you. I took my dog to dog obedience school for the first time this week. And I learned what I had to do with my dog. And as I tried to do it, I was thinking, oh, my dog doesn't like it. I don't want my dog to be unhappy, you know, all this stuff. (laughs) And as I'm walking, I'm thinking to myself, the reason I've always let my dog kind of run free, and and she's not wild or anything. She's just just a typical little dog and doesn't want to obey. And I realized, oh, when I was a little girl, the rules were so strict. I had to be the perfect little girl. And no wonder I don't want to do this to my dog. And once I got that, that, wait a minute, this isn't about my dog. This is about me. Then I could change those behaviors. And I think it's the same for women in the workplace, women in relationships. And I don't care if it's relationships with your boss, with your husband, your spouse, your partner, with your best friend, your mother, your mother-in-law. Um, you know, we all bring baggage to every relationship, even with your dog. We all bring baggage <laughs> to every relationship. And what we really want to do is get that to be a little tiny suitcase, not a steamer trunk. Right. Well, uh, the other thing I love about this book, and because we are all so time-starved, the book is actually structured in such a way that once you've done the assessment, you actually can just zero in on the things that are actually for you and that and, and those things that uh you you don't need to deal with you can just breeze right by uh, you know which automatically means that you're going to be able to uh begin to work on the things and you even have a little box that you can check in the lower right hand corner of the page saying whether it's your action item or not and there are coaching tips for every single one of them so um I'm not sure the best way. I I didn't really think through how we should tackle this, Lois, because normally I go through, uh, you know, kind of the outline of the book. And your book is different because it has the whole setup part in the front. Maybe we can start by talking about unconscious competence. 
Oh, unconscious competence, yes. And also thank you for mentioning about, you know, people don't even have to read the entire book. They can just go directly to the chapter that impacts them. And that's what I wanted because I know women are time-starved. Now, in terms of um, unconscious competence, the model suggests this, that when we're trying out new behaviors, when we're trying to, you know, learn a new skill, we all start out at this place of unconscious incompetence. In other words, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, so how can I possibly change that behavior? And that's unconscious incompetence. You know, I'm not good at doing something, and sometimes I don't even know that I'm not doing it until somebody gives me feedback. And that's usually the place where, uh, you know, I come in as a coach, that, because a lot of times people are referred to me and they're very surprised that they got referred even. Right. Yeah, so it's like they're at this place of unconscious incompetence. I didn't even know I was doing anything wrong. And then so you move up one ladder. When you get the feedback, you move up to conscious incompetence. And now it's like, oh, my, now that you say it, I see myself making the mistake over and over. So let me just give an example that may be true for many women, and that's in meetings. Many women will sit in meetings and not speak up until they're either called on or um, until everybody else has said what they have to say because they're trying to be polite or until some of the, like, you know, what's called noisy debate dies down. But they won't speak up until that. And then if they get the feedback that, hey, in meetings you don't add value because you don't speak up, then, you know, the woman's at the place of, conscious incompetence like oh my you're absolutely right that's exactly what i do but then in order for her to change she needs to understand what does she need to do differently so she may read a book she may listen to some of your podcasts she may get a coach she may go to a training program and she learns oh see if if it was me I, i coach women to be among the first two or three people to speak in any meeting so i say the next time you go to a meeting I want you to count. You can't go beyond the third person before you speak. You need to speak up early and often. And I say don't always be the first person because that person, you know, sometimes gets seen as a little bit arrogant. But if you're among the first two or three people, you'll be seen as self-confident and people will listen to you more. So now the woman goes back and she tries to do this, and she's at the place of what we call conscious competence, which is, okay, I can do it, but I always have to think about it. And so the place we want women to get is to the place of unconscious competence, which is it just comes naturally. I don't even think about it anymore. So the more Mm -hmm. that she does that, the more that she speaks up in meetings, and nothing catastrophic happens because that's the fear, that something catastrophic is going to happen. I'm going to be seen as too pushy or arrogant or whatever it is. And when that doesn't happen, you'll do it more, and you'll get to the place of, gee, I do this without even thinking, and that's, uh, unconscious competence. Got it. That makes great sense. Now, I, I want to bring up something because you talk in in kind of the next section of the book about giving yourself permission to move from girlhood into womanhood. Sometimes I sense that we're actually trying to move from girlhood into behaving like a man would. Can you help uh, our listeners understand why moving into womanhood is actually okay and yeah. not trying to behave like a man in a man's world? 
Yeah, and I'm glad that you bring this up because that's one of the things I want people to understand who may never read the book and who may only listen to this, that when I talk about nice girls don't get the corner office, I'm not suggesting that you be mean and nasty or that you be more like a man. All I'm suggesting is that you not be that nice little girl you were taught to be in childhood because that little girl isn't going to help you achieve your goals. Now, nice is necessary for success in any endeavor. You have to be nice. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. So that as you move from little girlhood to womanhood, it's you start behaving like the adult woman you are. Adult women have rights. They have responsibilities. They're allowed to speak up. They're allowed to ask for what they want. They're allowed to disagree. And so little girls aren't allowed to do that. And so, again, for many women, it's about exorcising that voice in the back of the head that says people won't like you if you're too direct. People won't like you if you speak up. People won't like you if you ask for things. You'll seem too demanding, too pushy, whatever. So that really moving from girlhood to womanhood is accepting the best of what you are as a woman because we live in a society where we don't like men who act like women and we don't like women who act like men. So I would never suggest that a woman act, act like a man. But if, if, if your listeners will think in terms of a continuum, you know, if there's a continuum from, you know, and again, kind of excuse my language, but from nice girl to bitch, on the nice girl side, you have somebody like Sally Field, right? I mean, she's right. the quintessential nice girl, and here's a woman in her, I think she's probably in her 60s, um, and she's the quintessential nice girl. I mean, even if we think of her on blood, brothers and sisters, she's created this totally dysfunctional family because of her niceness, <laughs> which is really just an offshoot of being Gidget, you know, in some ways. Right. And then at the other end of the continuum, you have somebody like um, Leona Helmsley or Martha Stewart, who, you know, they really are on the very aggressive side of the continuum. And it's why some people have a dif- have difficulty with them. My own belief is uh, Martha Stewart didn't go to jail because she cheated the government out of $200,000. She went to jail because people didn't like her, because they found her imperious. So there's this place in the middle that's appropriate. There's this place in the middle that says, I can ask for what I want, and I can speak up, and I still am going to show concern for other people. And I think that's the beauty of being an adult woman, is that I get to show my concern for you, but I also get to ask for what I want. Right. Right. You move on then into talking about visualizing yourself as you want to be. Now, I know a lot of women who don't have a good female mentor model and who have never worked for a woman that they would want to be like. So how do you form that image um, with the right role model? How do you find that? Yeah, you know, you don't. it doesn't even have to be somebody that you work with or work for. And it doesn't even have to be a mentor. You know, you can look around the world. You can look in politics, and I don't care, you know, let's just say in the United States, I don't care if you're, you know, with, with the red party, the blue party, the tea party, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, if you look at just, let's just say, some women politicians that you admire, and I know it's getting harder and harder to find any, um, especially after the last fiasco we just had, 
But, you know, if you look at some of these women that you admire and say, all right, you may not admire everything about them, but what is it about them that I do like? What part would I like to take more for me? Or if you look around your company and you say, all right, you know, I don't work for a woman that I would like to aspire to be, but I can look over in this department and I see this woman is getting some of the things I would like. Well, what's she doing? You know, and and so I really think it's about looking more broadly, sometimes out of your organization, sometimes, you know, even out of business, and saying, you know, who are the people that that I would like to emulate and what are their behaviors? And, Chickie, that's the most important thing, is that women understand that people will judge you by your behaviors, not your intention. So that you Mm -hmm. may have the best of intentions, but and you may think in your head, look, I've got all the answers to this question, but you need to be able to... um, behave in ways that people can see what your intentions are because if they can't see them they don't get them and that's why i ask women to women to really look at other women's behaviors very interesting and you know i mean you you talked about sally field on on her her show and uh actually one of the shows that i love and, and i'm forgetting the name right now but it it uh it's a woman attorney in a firm uh oh it's it's the good wife and and while there are you know lots of things going on in and around her life, the one thing that I look at her is her constant poise. And one of the things I've always had a hard time in my career is I absolutely wear my heart on my sleeve. And you know I am I am a hundred percent who I am. I don't have a business me and a personal me and a you know and a spiritual me. I'm I'm just one person. And and I I look at that so because I'm not in a corporate environment uh, very often anymore. I'm a consultant, but um, you know uh, consulting has been rather slow uh, over the last couple of years. And but it's funny because that that one show just hits me that if there's one characteristic that I'd like to take into the CEO role that I'm about to step into, is you know, I would like for people to look at me and to comment how poised I am, you know, in the face of of difficulty and, and pressure. Well, you know, it's interesting because poise is a characteristic, um, and yes, you can you can you know aspire to be poised. But if we were, were to really parse out poise, what are the be? See, that's not poise isn't a behavior; it's a characteristic. And so, if you think about what are the behaviors that go into being poised. You know, I'd have to say, I'm just trying to think of the top three, that if I was coaching you, I, I know that I'm not, you didn't ask me to, but, you <laughs> well, know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but, Chicky, you know, if you said to me, I want to be poised, I'd be thinking to myself, all right, when I think about the good wife and I think about poised, you know, this is a woman who works out her emotions not in the moment so that right. she's not bringing them into situations and she's not ignoring them and denying them. Right. So that when she gets into business situations, the emotional uh, piece of her doesn't overflow. So that would be like one thing. Are you working on the emotional stuff outside so that when you get there, uh, you're able to communicate in in a very neutral kind of way? Um, right. A second thing about poise, to me, is about showing genuine kindness and concern for other people. It's not all about me. Yeah. So, and you can exhibit that by asking people questions about themselves, 
about really listening to answers, showing concern for their feelings, ensuring that their their opinions get factored in. So again, you know, if we were to just take this characteristic of poise, we can break this down into, okay, what do I have to do so that I look poised? Right. Exactly. And 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 that that is precisely it. And so so then I'm going to go to the the next bullet point of in this whole uh kind of getting started area of the book of talking back to the fearful voice inside of your head. And in my particular case, particularly because I've got history with this particular investor who's asked me to come in and be the CEO of this new venture, he's also the one who was the one funding my spectacular business failure. And I didn't get to see it through as CEO. We ended up, uh, I ended up being told by the investment bankers who were trying to help us raise money that I couldn't be the CEO because I was the founder and I was too passionate about what I was doing. And so my fearful voice is that one that tells me I can't be CEO when I was actually the best person to be the CEO, both of that venture and this one. So how do you, first of all, how do you get to the place where you recognize what that fearful voice is, and does that emerge out of the self-assessment? And then, because I know that the 101 things that you address in the book clearly will help you talk back to that fearful voice. So help us get started there. Yeah, you know, there's two separate questions on the table here, though, because one is when you said that, Buddy said, oh, you know, you could never be the CEO because you're too passionate about this. My first thought was somebody tell that to Bill Gates, Right. <laughs> right, that he couldn't be the CEO because he was too passionate about what he was doing. And my second thought was, was this person giving you some backhanded feedback? Because when you said, I wear my heart on my sleeve, you just said uh-huh. that a, a few minutes ago. Right. You know, is it possible that that's what he was seeing? And so it, 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 in a very kind of gentle way said, oh, no, you're too passionate about this. Instead of saying, well, wait a minute, you wear your heart on your sleeve. You know, you're not going to be the best person to do this. So right. we need to, we all need to take in um, those messages that we get because people give us cues all the time about what we need to do differently to get the things that we want. We often don't listen to them. The second piece of this is in terms of talking back to the, to the voice in your head. That what I want listeners to understand is that there's a little girl inside all of us. You know, there's this little girl, and this little girl is the one who keeps reminding us of the old messages. You know, I remember when I had a private practice of psychotherapy and women would come in and tell me, well, you know, my my mother always said, who are you to think that you could do this? Or, you know, my father always said, oh, you're the pretty one, you're not the smart one. Or, you know, whatever those messages are. And, you know, I already shared with you. Now, when I was walking my dog and realizing, oh, I was supposed to be the perfect daughter, so, you know, no wonder I, you know, I'm trying not to make my dog have to be perfect. So that once we get in touch with those voices, you know, and those are old voices, and it's the little girl who keeps whispering to them uh, uh, th- those messages to us over and over and over. It's the little girl inside us. And so what we need to do as adult women is talk back to the little girl. And and I know it sounds a little schizophrenic, but it's really not when you try this out. Um, You talk back to the little girl and say, you know what? I'm in charge now, and I will take better care of us than anybody else will take care of us. Mm -hmm. So thanks for the reminder, and I'm moving forward. And it's also about developing new mantras. 
You know, it's about when you tape over the voice, it's about developing a new mantra or, or a new message. I know when I started my business, and it was 25 years ago now, uh, my mother said to me, Ugh, my stomach turns at the thought of you being unemployed. And I said, Mom, <laughs> I have two brothers. They're both entrepreneurs. You don't call them unemployed. Right. <laughs> right? And, but see, but there was, the, there was that message that, you know, and that was the kind of message I got as a little girl that I wasn't quite as good as my brothers who were supposed to be successful and I was supposed to be nice. So my mantra became failure is not an option. And I, I have to tell you, Chicky, if I said that to myself once, I said it 10,000 times. Failure is not an option, that I was not going to fail at this. Uh, there were things that I certainly did fail at in the process. But right. 25 years later, I still have a business. It took different forms. I made some foolish business decisions, made some mistakes. I'm still standing. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and while I talk about my spectacular failure, the spectacular part of it was the amazing amount of learning yes. that really prepared me for the next time around. And, and I've, I've read it, you know, in, in dozens and dozens of books and talked, uh, you know, to many people that I've interviewed uh, about the fact that entrepreneurs, you know, typically have to have that, that one time when, when they thought they knew it all and then found out that, uh, you know, that there, there were better ways to do things. And, uh, you know, I was able to write my first book, uh, you know, which is called Bootstrap Business, uh, which I co-published with you know, a number of top authors. And and so, you know, I don't look at that uh, as a bad thing in my life and, and love to be able to share uh, the hope that can come out of, of even getting to that place. But um, the the last one actually intrigues me in this preparation section. Or actually, it's not the last one. There, there are really four more. But surround yourself with a plexiglass shield. Tell me what that's about. Yeah, what that is is, you know, in addition to our own negative messages, there are the negative messages that people give us, like this person saying to you, oh, you're too passionate to be the CEO, or my mother saying my stomach turns when I think about you being unemployed, or, you know, a boss who picks at you, a coworker who's always sniping at you. You know, we can't control those things. It, that's part of life. That's part of reality. But if when you're in the midst of it, you can picture kind of you know kind of like a Star Wars thing where you could picture this plexiglass shield coming up to surround you so that those kinds of piercing comments and negative attitudes bounce off the plexiglass you know it's like you can see them you can hear them but they bounce off of you and you're able and it's it's a great uh imagery and women have told me when they've done it that it really works. That you know mm. when you're, or maybe you're even in a performance review session for women who work for someone else and get performance reviews, and you're getting some negative feedback. You just picture that plexiglass shield coming up, and you can hear and you can listen, and you can take in the information, but it's not puncturing or wounding you, and you are not absorbing it. Mm. I love that. That's a great, great visual. Yeah, I've I've thought about the other uh another view of that which is the you know I'm not signing for that package. Somebody knocks on the door and and has, you know puts out the paper for you to sign and they're they're going to hand you something. It's like, "No, I'm not signing for that package." Yeah, there you go. That. So, but but the plexiglass is nice because again, it it uh, specifically for me, it also plays into that poise thing that I can mm -hmm. 
I can hear it, I can deal with it, but I can deal with it at a, a separate time. Oh, yeah, and you know, the, it's kind of like so many of these things go together, so you don't just do one of them. So, you know, like the mantras go along with it, too. So that as the, you know, the plexiglass shield comes up, I'm saying to myself, you know, this information is valued to me, and I won't let it wound me. You know, it's not right. going to puncture me. It's not going to change who I am, you know, and, and it's certainly not going to take away from who I am. Right. Well, I, I just looked at the time, and I cannot believe what time it is already. I don't know what kind of time you had set aside. We try to wrap up by 5.30. It's already almost 5.15. Usually I do a 30-minute interview, but it feels like it's been 10 minutes. Yeah, so, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, anyway, I mean, there there is so much here. And, you know, one of the things we might do, and, and Patty, I'll let you talk to Lois offline, I would love to see if we could get you and your co-author of your most recent book on and, and talk about some of those things. And, um, you know, for for those who are listening live and also those who uh, listen to this on demand, you guys just have to buy this book, I'm, I'm telling you. It's um, so, so incredibly practical. And um, Michael and I and the kids are going on vacation next week. And while I did promise them that I would not take my computer, I didn't promise I wouldn't bring a business book. <laughs> and <laughs> this go. is going in my bag because, uh, you know, especially with preparing to go into this new role, um, you know, I just, uh, this is going to be with me. So Lois, thank you so, so much for your time. You are welcome back anytime just to participate with us on a Friday. Uh, we have the call every week now at 4.30, and uh, every week we do have an author, and usually that's that's about the first uh, 30 minutes of the call, and then we spend time just catching up with each other and uh, you know, kind of hearing a little bit about the high points in, in our lives and, and any challenges that we're facing. So uh, with that, I'm, I'm going to turn off the recorded part of the call because we don't uh, record, uh, obviously, the networking and sharing piece. But uh, again, thank you so so much for your time and I like I said I I don't remember a time ever when the time has flown by this quickly so uh, I just thank you so so much for sharing with us today well thank you for having me I really appreciate it I appreciate your questions and the opportunity to talk about these things I think are very important to women well great and will you tell us just one more time your website uh, could you say that again? There was some echo. Yeah, all of a sudden we're echoing pretty badly. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll just we'll put it on the the recording. Oh, actually, it stopped now. Uh, and yeah. Patty, you can edit that piece out. But um, so Lois, uh, just remind us of the website where they can go and take the self assessment. Your book is available through the Ex Executive Girlfriends Group uh, bookstore. Uh, so we've got a link to that, and we've also will have for our members we'll have your contact information on the Executive Girlfriends Group private website. But we do have people listening to this who aren't members as well. So uh, give us your your contact information and how people can reach you. Sure, they can reach me through my website, which is www.drloisfrankel.com, and that's spelled D R L O I S F R A N K E L. Dot com, And we also have a NiceGirlsJustDon'tGetIt.com website and uh, the uh, the um, self-assessment for Nice Girls Just Don't Get It is at the NiceGirlsJustDon'tGetIt.com <laughs> website, and that's with no punctuation. 
great, great. Well, like I said, we'll we'll have Patty uh, get in touch with you and see if we can get you and your co-author on sometime later this fall. I know we're scheduled already uh, pretty far out uh, into September. So, well, that would be uh, great. We, we Carol and I love to do shows together, and you really hear a point counterpoint with us. So it's great. She's good. she's an attorney, so she has a whole different oh. style than I have. Yes. Terrific. Well, listen, we will definitely be in touch. And again, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Chicky. Take good care. And bye to everybody who I met earlier. Okay, great. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Let me manually turn off the recording because for some reason the panel's not working.